we are at 85% of pre-pandemic ridership and still charging fare. Mm. So it's not that we're running yeah, that's... Fare. So <laughs> we're, we're, we're charging full fare uh, and we are at at least 85% of uh, pre-pandemic ridership. I think um, there are three um, factors, right, that attributed yeah. to our um, ridership figures. Uh, one is during the pandemic, we did not cut service. Mm. So unlike almost all other agencies, or at least most other agencies um, in across the country, we did not cut a service. So that was a strategic decision from our CEO that no, we're going to keep running 100% service, even on weekends, mm. because we still have people who want to get to their jobs, um, people who want to get to their hospitals, you know, medical facilities, not only as patients, but also as workers. Welcome to the Mobility Innovators Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Mobility Innovator Podcast. I'm your host, Jaspal Singh. Mobility Innovator Podcast invite key innovators in the transportation and logistics sector to share their experience and future forecasts. In this episode, we'll be discussing the benefit of technology and innovation for public transit agencies in North America. Our today guest is an amazing transit enthusiast. He's the Chief Strategic Planning, Development and Innovation Officer at Southwest Ohio Regional Transit Authority, SORTA, or you can also call GoMetro. SORTA is a public transportation agency that provides bus service in the greater Cincinnati area. He is responsible for overseeing the development and implementation of agency technology and data-driven strategy. He also leads the development of SORTA long-term strategy plan and work to enhance the agency's customer experience. Prior to SORTA, he has worked with different agencies in the U.S., including Central Ohio Transit Authority, Jacksonville Transportation Authority, and Palm Beach County. He was also the chief of bus transit team at Maka Masterville Transit. I'm so happy to welcome Khalid Shamar, Chief Strategic Planning, Development, and Innovation Officer at Southwest Ohio Regional Transit Authority in Cincinnati. It's now time to listen and learn. Hello, Khalid. It's great to have you on the show. Looking forward to learning from your experience today. Yes. Hi, Jasper. Thank you for having me. Great. Uh, so today I'll be spending time to talk about your professional journey, which is quite interesting. Your book, which I really love, and your perspective on innovation in the public transit space, because there are not many people who will actually talk about this. So to start with, can you tell me a bit more about your background, which is very interesting? But I'm also interested to know any hidden fact about your career that is not on LinkedIn. Um, yeah, I think it's easier to answer the first part really first. <laughs> um, I, I went I mean, to the Ohio State University uh, in Columbus, Ohio to study where I pursued an um, architecture degree uh, mm -hmm. as an undergraduate. And then uh, I did the master's in um, regional planning as well as a master's in transportation uh, engineering. Um, and then uh, from there, just um, you know, have to, had to have the opportunity to uh, do an internship at uh, the transit agency in Columbus, Ohio. Oh, okay. And uh, that's, I guess, how I fell in love with transit. Um, and it's 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 been a, a pretty rewarding uh, you know journey. And um, after uh, the transit agency agency in Columbus, I 
went into the private sector with a consulting firm where I was lucky enough to work on projects, you know, across the country, which, you know, gave me another, um, you know, quite a bit of additional exper ex experience. And then um, went to the public sector again in Florida, but also had the, you know, um, the, uh, the opportunity to work overseas twice, once in Abu Dhabi, where mm. I, um, uh, you know, helped uh, establish the uh, transit sector within the newly established Abu Dhabi DOT, Department of Transport Transportation. Okay. And uh, more recently, uh, I was uh, really um, offered a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to design a transit system from scratch um, in Mecca, Saudi Arabia. Um, these kind of opportunities really don't come that frequently because there aren't too many cities that don't have any transit. Yeah. And to be really put in charge of creating one was uh, you know I mean an opportunity I would have done for free, uh, and it, it was a very rewarding experience. As for anything unique, um, I think I think I have everything uh, you know posted at LinkedIn, so I can't think of uh, of anything that's uh, unique really. Um, yeah, I mean. Uh, if if I think of something, I'll let you know. <laughs> <laughs> or probably during the discussion, we'll discover something. Like I discover about your experience with Abu Dhabi. I didn't uh, know that, that you work in Abu Dhabi as well and help to set up the new transit agency. Because I remember when in Dubai and in Abu Dhabi, the whole planning and transportation, uh, focus on public transportation started. Uh, there was these new agencies were created. So it's it's great that you help Abu Dhabi to build that. And Makkah, I can I can fully agree with you. Is there are not many cities where you get an opportunity to start something from scratch. So indeed, indeed, yes. Great. Now, so I want to start our discussion with the transit recovery because that's a very hot topic. And to to do that, I went to the Go Metro website, Sorta website, and I found something very interesting. On your website, you publish month on month report of everything about the sort of performance. I can see about ridership trend. I can see the cost detail. I can see KPIs. I can also see you transparently put about the driver shortage issue. All your success and failure are shared transparently with everybody. I mean, it's amazing because I haven't seen many agency who do that, put everything in public. The Important thing I saw that Sorta is recovering quite well. I mean, you have already touched 85% mark, 85% ridership compared to 2019. It's not yet 100%, but it's still one of the highest, I would say, in the country because uh, in US, not many cities have reached this level. And you also mentioned one of your route has already exceed 165% ridership level. So which means it's already crossed the pre-pandemic level and growing. Correct. So I would love to know what is your secret? What is the secret of SORTA? And what's your plan for 2023? Uh, great, great question. And th thank you for, for that, uh, Jasper. Um, and and uh, indeed, we are really proud of our success story. Um, and, uh, um, and I just want to clarify that we are at 85% of pre-pandemic ridership and still charging fare. So it's not we're running yeah, full fare. So we're, we're, we're charging full fare, 
uh, and we are at at least 85% of uh, pre-pandemic ridership. I think um, there are three um, factors, right, that attributed yeah. to our um, ridership figures. Uh, one is during the pandemic, we did not cut service. Mm. So unlike almost all other agencies, or at least most other agencies um, in across the country, we did not cut the service. So that was a strategic decision from our CEO that, no, we're going to keep running 100% service, even on weekends, mm. because we still have people who want to get to their jobs, um, people who want to get to their hospitals, you know, medical facilities, not only as patients, but also as workers, right? Um, as well as to other jobs where, you know, um, in, in the service and uh, industry, whether it's the uh, grocery stores um, and warehousing and so on. So that was kind of a strategic decision on our part. Um, there was only one month where we, we reduced the service, you know, slightly, but that was just one month, if not less than a month, but we kept running 100%. That I think helped us maintain our riders. I mean, at the beginning of COVID, ridership plummeted to about 50, 55%. Yeah. It's not like we kept carrying the same amount of people, but despite that, it still gave the confidence to the to the to the passengers that transit is there, still there. I may not be riding it today because I'm not going to to the office anymore, but I know that the transit is still running, and I do not need to make any different uh, transportation arrangements, you know, down the road. So that was, you know, uh, one of the main factors because had we cut service, and um, you know the uh, reduced service didn't meet certain individuals' needs. Obviously, if you know if they have to, to get to work, they were they would have found some other means yeah. to get there by car and so on. And if they do that, they're not You've coming back them. to transit. You've lost them. Um, the other piece to that is we also redesigned portions of our network to make it more efficient and save some resources, you know, drivers and buses. And then we took these resources and actually added service with them. So Amazing. we ended up having more revenue hours and more revenue miles than before COVID. And again, those were also strategic um, you know, decisions. One is we were trying to implement our uh, new system redesign, doing it you know, phase by phase. But also, you know, phase one and phase two of these additional uh, services that we added were directed um, at what the COVID environment needed at that time. So we converted seven routes to run 24 hours. Hmm. And those routes would hit the major hospitals hmm. because they're open 24 hours. You have third shift people there. And also the warehousing and in manufacturing areas where you have second and third shifts. And those were also all critical things, you know, where they, they, they did not stop during COVID, right? Yeah. Um, so we added weekend service, Sunday service, uh, improved frequency a little bit during, you know, the, the weekdays. And we had two sets of these improvements. And you cited earlier that one of the, the routes is about 167% of pre-COVID ridership. And this, that particular route 
in addition to uh, five other routes, five or six other routes that have exceeded pre-COVID ridership ah. are the ones that received these kind of improvements. Mm. So these are the routes that received either 24-hour service, Sunday service, weekend frequency improvements, or you know, ex ex expanding this span of service and so on. So those routes that received these kind of improvements exceeded pre-COVID ridership. The other routes that received improvements, you know, uh, are also doing very well, you know, 85, 90, 95% and so on. I think the message of that, and that's the kind of thing that we used, you know, in, in our uh, discussions here is, that's the proof, you know, when they say the proof is in the pudding, yeah. is that. What that tells us is people want to ride transit. Oh, yeah. People want to ride the buses. You know, so if you make it better, if you give them better service, they will ride. And hence, when we converted this to 24-hour service, we added weekend, et cetera, they're doing 134% of pre-COVID, 167% pre-COVID, 118% pre-COVID, and so on. So that was really a strong message for us. And that gave us, you know, the um, enthusiasm to keep making these additional improvements. Amazing. I mean, all your points are so powerful and I, I agree with you. People want to use transit. Why not? If you can get a good, reliable service, yeah. who won't take the car and drive and spend money on, on gasoline? I mean, people want to reach cheaper, faster and more reliable way. And not cutting service, I can imagine it must be a very strategic and big decision because many agencies face pressure and first thing they do to reduce costs, they cut the service. So it would be a very big strategic decision at that time. And I can imagine like taking that decision by the CEO and the team, it must be like really a big statement out there saying we are not reducing service because people need to still travel and we'll help. It was, it was indeed. Great. Now, another big thing, which I'm a big fan of SOTA is, uh, like you rightly mentioned, 85% with fare. Uh, but what SOTA did, which is very unique, is you got approval about this Hamilton County sale tax, share in the Hamilton County sale tax. And actually, it is now covering 60% of your overall revenue, which is which is amazing. And it was approved in spring of 2020. So I think Public transit is a social cause, so we it helped to drive economic growth in the city. But even in the mid-sized city of Europe and all, a lot of cities are not able to recover fare box and facing problem with the funding and not having support from the government and grant. Can you share the structure of revenue collection as it's a very interesting model that you are still collect fare, but at the same time, you have funding available through the sale tax and other mechanisms so that it can reinvest and what lesson you can suggest for other mid-side transit city? Because some sometimes people say, oh, it, it can work in, in Cincinnati. Probably it's not for my city. But do you want to share like how other city can follow this? Yeah, uh, thank you. Um, yeah, let, let, let me just point out that our budget is about $150 million a year. Yeah. Um, but we also have a special fund that we call Transit Infrastructure Fund. Uh, which totals about $35 million a year or so, separate yeah. from the 150. And this, the, the Transit Infrastructure Fund is mainly for roadway improvements. And, you know, we can talk about that more later on. Um, you're right that, you know, in May 2020, uh, we passed a levy, which, you know, helped tremendously, obviously. Yeah. 
Before May 2020, most of our budget was dependent on income tax. So, you know, anybody who worked in the city of Cincinnati would pay 0 0.3 um, cent uh, in income tax that would go to, to sort of to, to us. And this generated about 55 to $60 million a year. Uh, okay. and, and back then our overall budget was about 105 million, you know, up until two or three years ago. Um, the income tax that we, we were collecting 55-60 million dollars a year was not enough to maintain the level of service we had at that time let alone expand our service mm. and add new services and facilities and we knew we were way behind in all of that so we had to go out to the public and basically we needed more money so we can expand the service make improvements etc etc and the levy that we, you know, we introduced was, um, we'll stop the income tax, so okay. no more income tax, the, the 0 0.3, and instead, we will have a countywide sales tax, um, that you know, the 0 0.8 cent sales tax that will come to SORTA. Yeah. However, 0 0.6 of the 0 0.8 will go towards operating the buses mm. for the transit agency. And the difference, the 0 0.2, will go towards the transit infrastructure fund oh, okay. to help improve roadways, sidewalks, and so on, which will also help transit because you'll have better roadways, better sidewalks, you know, Connectivity. Bus, and, and so on. So that 0 0.6 that we're keeping for operating the buses um, is generating about $100 million a year. So that's about $45 million increase from the income tax. And this really, this additional revenue was key to all of these improvements um, that we've done in the past couple of years and everything else that's coming, um, you know, in, in the near future. And, you know, whether it's for adding new additional services, modernizing our fleet, introducing bus rapid transit, um, as well as introducing mobility on demand service and building new transit facilities. Um, so this is what the sales tax is doing uh, for our communities, allowing us to provide all of these enhanced services. The, um, the, 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 the difference between the two models, the income versus the sales tax, the income was constrained to only those who worked within the city of Cincinnati. Yeah. The sales tax is countywide. So anybody, whether you live or if you're a visitor and you're spending money in, in Hamilton County, you're going to pay that sales tax. That's how it's generating. I think one factor that really helped passing that levy was, you know, the combination of two things. One is um, we needed better transit system. I mean, the yeah. community believed that they need better transit system. And the other piece was the transit infrastructure fund. Yeah. So, um, you know, uh, that's going to improve the roadway for everybody, uh, the sidewalks, intersections, and so on. So everybody was benefiting from that, even if you don't ride Use the bus. The, um, the main message that we had at that time wasn't focused on 
improving transit. Hmm. The message for the levy and the message that we're carrying on right now as part of our reinventing metro is about um, is, is, is economic development. Hmm. So Amazing. the message that we're driving, so if you go to our website and you look at our reinventing metro and all presentations that we do at public, you know, hearings and public meetings and so on, the first thing we talk about is, you know, reinventing metro is about economic development, is about, um, you know, imp imp uh, bringing new businesses to our community, is providing better access to more jobs, yeah. But access to higher paying jobs and, you know, investments as well as, you know, mobility for everybody, etc. And then to do all of that, we need better transit system. So even if you don't ride transit and you're a business owner, you know yeah, that right. your employees need to, to, to use transit to come to and, you know, to, to work. So you're going to support that message, you're gonna support that levy, even though you really don't write transit. Um, so that it was that combination that really helped us uh, pass that levy and get the support of the community. Amazing, I mean, I, I, it's so powerful and that's what I feel transit agency need to focus on branding sometime. Because yeah, if you exactly. just go out and say, hey, we need money for buses, people will probably not agree to it and they, they see as a as a burden. But instead of saying transit, but you focus on the bigger picture, and which is very true. I mean, transit bring prosperity to the city and economic development. I was talking with one of the city where they are looking how they can attract new employer. And the first thing employer asks is, do you have transit for my employees to come? Exactly. If you exactly. don't have, how will I set up my business? Because many of them can't afford cars and many of them can't... Uh, uh, and they live outside the city because they can't live in the city. They can't afford to live in the city. So they live outside. They need to come. So do you have transit? And if if their answer is no, the business will never come. So it's it's really powerful. And I, you know, one thing I wish after listening to you is like, how can we just replicate this model to all other transit <laughs> authority? <laughs> I know it's not easy, but anything you want to say, easy. like how, how can you do that? <laughs> I, I, I wish it was easy. Believe me. I, yeah. I can... Or probably we need to create your clones and send to each city. <laughs> <laughs> now, you know, other other thing which I really found interesting from your profile, and actually thanks for sharing that copy. You know, last time you gave me the copy of your book and I was yes. very curious. Uh, okay, you have wrote a book. I thought it'll be probably talking about transit and buses and all. And I start reading it and I completed the book in a day. Generally, I never do that because it's it's hard to focus. I left everything. I didn't do any work that day. Uh, and I just read the book. And the title of your book is The Implosion of Public Transport and Case for Infinite Game. And I was like, what is this infinite game all about? So would strongly recommend everybody to read that book. I'll share the link uh, in the notes. Now, I want to know what do you mean by the infinite game for the public transit? And what inspired you to write that book? Yeah. What? What? And 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 uh, what? First of all, thank you for you know uh, plugging my book here. You know, uh, I really appreciate that. And thank you for reading it and the kind uh, comments you made. Um, I started working on this book actually before uh, before COVID. Oh, okay. So back in 2017, um, I started 
getting a bit uneasy about transit. I mean, I've been um, in, in the transit industry for 28 years now. Um, so my entire career is in transit. And as I said earlier, started in the public, then went private, then came back to public. So I've kind of like seen quite a bit of it and I've seen the trends and so on. Um, but I was getting a bit bothered in, in 2017 that things are not heading in the right direction. Yeah. Um, not necessarily for a particular agency, um, but across the industry, right? Um, and no matter whether it's a small agency, big agency, and so on. And so, on. Um, so, and I started thinking hard at really what are these reasons? Um, and of course, you can't come up with an answer immediately, but, you know, for over months, you know, just thinking about it and, uh, you know, putting that down some notes and so on. Um, I thought at that time that I'm starting to put my finger on a few things uh, just based on my experience and, you know, uh, throughout my career. And um, then start, you know, come up with an outline of the things I want to um, discuss in, in the book. And um, then started writing it fully uh, after I've you know, gathered all my information between 19, 20, 2018 and 2019. Yeah. Um, in 2020, you know, I wrote the book and published it very early part of 2021. Um, now, the title of my book is my, made up of two phrases, right, which you already read. So the implosion of public transit. Yeah. That's one. And the case for an infinite game. That's the other phrase. The first part, implosion of public transit, um, and I use that word implosion on purpose um, because... Um, the demise of transit is from within. Yeah, It's not other forces from the outside that are attacking transit on purpose or are actively trying to destroy it. No, it's, you know, the destruction of transit is happening because we, you know, the transit agencies and transit industry are failing to, uh, to cope with the changings that are, you know, happening at every level. Meaning, you know, every level, whether it's the new technologies, the uh, um, serious use of data analytics, whether it's the training and development of staff, the unique mobility solutions, etc. So it's at all of these different levels. And as an example, I think, you know, in my book, I talk about, you know, the SpaceX hmm. company, right? So it took SpaceX six years to put a rocket in orbit. Into the orbit from when it was started as a company, right? Same thing with Tesla. You know, took them five years to launch, you know, the first car. Yet we, transit industry, we're still trying, trying to figure out, you know, how to solve first and last mile. Yeah. And, and we've been at it for like almost 20 years now, right? Um, so it's, you know, these things that are changing around us, right? Around the transit industry, whether it's the population, demographics, the young generation preferences, technology, and so on. If we don't change, then we will cease to exist. And this is what, you know, Jack Welch, you know, the former CEO of GE once said, you know, if the rate of change on the outside is greater, is greater than the rate on the inside, then, you know, the end is near. And that's why it's the implosion because we're not changing from the inside. And that's why we're, you know, we're imploding on ourselves. 
So we have to do things differently. And the second phrase of the book, you know, and the case for an infinite game, is that solution mm. to prevent that implosion. And the infinite game really is, is you know, the, the solution to our problems, um, or at least what I perceive as problems, you know, in, in, in my book. And to succeed and turn the transit ship around, um, we have to start acting with the mentality of an infinite game player. And in a nutshell, we have to make investments when they are not needed. Oh, yeah. And that has always been an issue for many industries, including transit, for some obvious reasons, you know, they have, you know funding and, and so on. Um, but that's really the, the, the uh, crux of the infinite game mentality is you need to make investments when you don't actually need them. Um, and we have to create that culture in the, in, the, in the industry, in the transit industry. We have to create that culture that keeps reinventing itself and reinventing transit. We cannot wait for something happening outside of transit for us to react to, such as, oh, now we have Uber. They're competing against us. They're taking our passengers. Now we need to find a solution. You're already late in the game. Yeah. If you're trying to catch up, you're 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 late. By the time you you know you you solve the Uber problem, something else is gonna be popping up, right? And we keep playing that catch-up game. Instead, we have to drive the um, you know the the um, the, the, the industry, um, and we have to drive you know that environment around us. Um, we shouldn't be in a reactionary mode. Rather, we have to be in the driver's seats. Um, and, and that's where, you know, invest in the technology, invest in the training and the development, yeah. um, so on. Because when it's time that you need these, you have them. And you can deal with whatever uh, immediately. So that's really the, uh, the crux of, 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 of the book, really. No, I, I mean, I, I like that book also for one more reason, uh, which I didn't share with you, but I want to share now is like, it's also for a person. What you talk about in that book is the rate of change outside and rate of change inside is every human being. I mean, the world is changing, the technology is changing so far. So as a human being, also, we need to adapt to the new technology. If we don't do that, we will we will go away and we will seize. And, and that's what I feel is it's not only if you want to change the organization, you need to first change the people. And by changing, it doesn't mean that you need to replace them, but it's like reskilling them. So investment in reskilling, understanding and learning new technology. It's not when you start that, like many agencies, I remember we did a training in 2019 on electric buses and many agencies said, oh, we don't want to implement for next 10 years. So it's not for us. And I feel like, but you need to learn now if you yep. really want to do in next five years, it's not tomorrow. Like you will learn and you go out in the market. So I, I think that's a very powerful statement. I, I, like I said, I strongly suggest everybody. That's why I wrote a bit, a small article about that book so that people can understand what it is, but it, it has some of the great points and uh, thank you for putting together your knowledge uh, and experience of 28 year in, in such a small condensed way, I would say. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I wanted to make it short so it's easier to read. I love that because people don't want to read stories. It's, it has to be short. It has to be to the point. And uh, that's what the whole point is. 
So now the other point I want to discuss with you, which is all the transit agencies, not only in North America, but everywhere around the world is facing problem is a staff shortage. After the pandemic, uh, every agency has the driver shortage issue, the worker issues, the manpower issue. And again, kudos to SOTA because I saw your report and you clearly transparently share how many trips you are missing every day because of the driver shortage. And it's around 100 trips, even though your performance is very good because you are doing 95% of rate. But even if you solve this problem of manpower, your performance will be 99.5%. So it's like causing such a big dent in the performance just because of staff shortage. So it's a big challenge. Everybody understand that uh, we are facing problem with the, with the driver and the operators and all. Now, what are the steps you are following to address this challenge? Because a lot of agencies want to solve this problem in six months. And I tell them it's a long-term problem. You can't just solve it in a six month. And and do you think it's a long-term issue or we how, how will we address this challenge? Yeah, another important question. Uh, Jaspal, and, and thanks again for 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 these uh, you know, uh, great questions. Um, I mean, sort. Of, I mean, we, we're just like anybody else. We are having driver shortage issues. Uh, we've been suffering, you know, from that for the past couple of years or so. And you know, the the, the problem is really is twofold, right? When it comes to missing trips and the level of service. Yeah. Um, first is difficulty in finding new hires, right? Yeah. But then also it's the retention mm. of drivers. So case in point, last year we hired 170 drivers. Our net, we netted three. Because, you know, you have retirements, people retiring, people getting fired because they're on their cell phone when they shouldn't be, you know, on their cell phone or some, you know, other issues. Um, so we hired 170, but we netted three. So retention is as critical as recruiting. Mm. So it's, you know, these two issues that, that kind of, you know, go hand in hand. And we try, you know, to, we, we did a few measures trying to entice, you know, more people to uh, apply and, and work. And we're making some headway. Uh, we mm. still have a long way just, you know, because that's how the economy is now, nowadays. Uh, I agree with you. That's not a problem that's going to be solved in the next, you know, four, five, six months. It's probably going to take at least a year, year, year and a half, depending on the economy as well. But a few things that we did uh, that seemed to be helping one is we raised the driver's salaries by 25%. 25%. That was, you know, a big jump. Um, it went from like 16 point some dollars an hour to 20 point some dollars an hour. This is starting rate. Um, and that obviously helped, you know, somewhat. Um, but we also relaxed the hiring requirements. Hmm. So, for example, you don't have to have a CDL to apply. We will train you to get your CDL and we will pay for your CDL exam as well. And that's worth a few thousand dollars, right? Uh, we also restructured how we do the extra board. Mm -hmm. So to make it a little bit more attractive, because usually, you know, extra board, you have no idea when you're going to be called in, you know, and what, you know, when you're going to drive and so on. It has its issues. Um, so we kind of, 
structure that more into shifts. So, you know, you can pick a shift for extra board and you just go there. So at least, you know, on every day I'm going to be there from this hour to that hour. Hmm. I may be called on to drive. I may not be called on to drive, but that's my shift. Yeah. Right? Just sitting there and waiting. That also helped uh, people, you know, to at least structure their, their daily activities, right? And their uh, daily lives. Um, so that, you know, these kind of combinations, you know, uh, kind of seem, seem to have helped a little bit. Um, but, you know, we're still uh, having issues in uh, recruiting fast enough, basically. Mm. Uh, but uh, but uh, for the, the past, I think, three months or so have been a, a, a relatively good uh, uh, months of recruiting. Um, so I think we're heading in the right direction, but um, it's still going to take a while until we're almost back to normal. Yeah, no, uh, I, I agree yeah, with you. No, I was just saying, you know, there was a report by, I read a report by APTA which say that uh, 45% of driver are the age of 55. So the outflow is greater than the inflow. So the challenge you're saying is is absolutely right. Yes, yes. Um, the uh, one major reason for the uh, large number of missed trips, um, certainly, you know, shortage of drivers is, is is one factor but in in our in our case specifically it's due due to absenteeism absenteeism that's what's really driving the the mistrips uh that 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 high uh we've been dealing with that for the past you know several months and it's kind of like a bit more uh, you know under control now if you check our um january and especially now in february uh number of mistrips have gone down drastically oh amazing trying to keep that momentum uh hopefully we'll continue that success um so that that's what we're uh we're, we're doing in, in that regards no that that's great you know thanks for sharing like how you recruiting people without the cdl because it's it's a barrier a lot of people don't know how to get the cdl and then investing that money to get a license because they're not sure whether they will get a job or not after getting a cdl so what yeah. you are reducing, you are lowering down that barrier, you are hiring people. In fact, in your book, you also mentioned that we should hire more people with customer service experience uh -huh. and turn them into driver because that's a way you have a best driver on board. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Because, and, and those in the transit industry, you know, you know, gets it because the driver is really doing two things. Mm -hmm. You know, he or she is driving a bus. But they're also being, you know, as customer service, you know, staff, right? I mean, that's the first thing that oh, yeah. uh, passengers see. It's very easy to learn how to drive a bus. Hmm. Anybody can learn, <laughs> that, right? Just, you know, give them a few weeks, a few months, they'll learn how to ride a bus, uh, drive a bus. But to be customer friendly and have the right attitude, that's not so easy to teach, right? So if you recruit from that sector you know the customer service you know the service sector uh individuals who already have that quality yeah it's easier to teach them to drive a bus and you know you have the best of both worlds you know but the problem is people think other way people think it's easy to get the driving license or the the customer experience then getting a driving license but what you rightly mentioned it's difficult to have that attitude, customer service. You should be passionate about transit because then 
the customer will use the bus again and again. I I know if if you go board a bus and driver give you a weird weird look, you will never want to go back. But if yes. you go into the bus and driver have a fun with you, fun chat with you, welcoming, smiling face, people feel happy and they feel safe. Exactly, exactly. You know, some of the countries are thinking the automation can be one of the solution to address this driver and operator shortage issue. Like some of the countries are doing pilot on autonomous buses. In fact, FTA recently oh. released a grant funding for ADAS, uh, Automated Driver Assisted uh, System Program. What do you think about autonomous buses? Will it be good uh, for city and can address this challenge or you think that's that's not going to make big difference? No, I think, I mean, all of these solutions are good solutions and they have their place. Um, and that's certainly something that's, you know, on our radar screen, not in the short term, um, just because we're busy now, we're, we're busy trying to finish the infrastructure that we have, right? The foundation yeah. of all of that. Um, but no, I mean, autonomous ve uh, buses as well as, you know, uh, autonomous vehicles, um, they have a role in, um, in, in the transit uh, industry and in providing you know, that kind of service. We just want to make sure that they can be implemented um, in a meaningful way and you know, an efficient way as well. Um, you know, some of these applications, um, you know, it's easy to do in certain areas in, in, in this country. With certain infrastructure, it's more difficult in other areas due to terrain, weather, and so on. But I think ultimately we're going to get there. Mm -hmm. um, I think uh, federal highway, um, you know, things that by 20, um, 2035 or 2040, something like that, um, most of the vehicles will, uh, will be almost autonomous vehicles. Yeah. Uh, just because, you know, uh, it's going to take some time to weed out uh, most of the other vehicles where you cannot retrofit the vehicle with, um, you know, uh, the equipment to, to drive itself. Um, so I think the, the nation and that, that's, you know, where everything is, is uh, you know, it's heading in that direction. And we will, we will get there as a transit industry. And yeah, th there will be benefits. Um, that doesn't mean that it's going to take you know, jobs away from others. Those would be retrained. They'll be, you know, used in other capacities and, and so on. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And when people say it will take away job, I say, man, there are no drivers available. So <laughs> it's not a problem of job. It's a problem of we don't have people. So if yeah. you don't have people, you have to use technology. It's it's not possible to survive. Now, one other thing, your role is, uh, and I I am very surprise seeing like you're managing three different roles in dog nation and innovation is one of your key role and I'm, I'm really always passionate about technology and innovation in mobility uh, and i see the use of big data big analytics data analytics artificial intelligence mass blockchain it's it's going to increase now sorta has launched various initiatives i'm curious to know how do you identify and evaluate new technology and approaches because one of the important point you made in the beginning is you need to be future ready you don't need to implement project or technology when it's available, you need to think about it before it, it became, you know, available to everybody. So how SORTA take care of this future long-term planning? And one of the key challenge with the organization, with the transit agency, especially is the change management. You know, you have people 
who don't want to change so and you suddenly bring new technology to them and say hey this is a new tool we need to play with it how do you manage this both uh, balance of uh, implementing technology as the same time you know managing the the manpower yes uh, good good question um, and it it is it is an important uh, area for for us sort as well should be for you know all transit industry um as as you said i mean i already men- mentioned that we have to invest make make these in investments in technology um when we really don't need them right but we need to get to, we need to get there in terms of what we're doing um you know one of the first things that i did when i you know came here to to sorta is you know because uh, i used to do that when i was a consultant um i created the strategic ITS plan, hmm. which encompasses all different technologies that we have, that we are getting, and that we need to get, you know, in the short term and the long term um, future as well. So that's one complete document, strategic plan that talks about all of that, the impacts, you know, what's going to how it's going to impact each, you know, the departments, the staff, the public, and the agency, and what what is. Uh, anything else that we're planning on implementing, right, in terms of services and so on. So that's critical. But also in terms of how we use the data. Mm. It's unfortunate that most transit agencies, you know, we collect tons of data, but many of us don't really use it to its fullest. We're kind of like using, I mean, not even 10% of the potential of that data. Yeah. Uh, we have to get deep into that. We have to have the right tools for for that. Um, two things that you know uh, that we're doing here at Sorta. One is we're building uh, a comprehensive dashboard, uh, yeah. you know, Power BI uh, dashboard. So we have the infrastructure in place. Now we're building the, the dashboard that will have pretty much every piece of data that we collect, whether it's from your typical CAD, ABL, you know, on-time, uh, on-time data, uh, passengers counting, um, you know, arrival time, departure times, you know, and, yeah. uh, and all of that, but also from the finance department, from the procurement department, from maintenance, from operations, what have you, it's there. And it's, you know, it eventually it will be open to every employee in the agency, no matter what their rank is, because we want everybody to look at it and understand what's going on on a daily basis. It's kind of like a tree map, easy to look at and figure out, you know, where the issues are within a second or two, right? But also will allow you to drill down until you've tried to figure out, you know, the, the, what's causing that issue, right? So that we can uh, act you know, immediately on this. So providing that level of data is, is an analysis is critical for, for any agency. At the same time, um, at least in, in my area for the planning department, we are also automating the monitoring of certain data. So for example, mm. a typical route, you know, there's tons of data that we're collecting, right? In terms of on-time performance, uh, the dwell time of buses at certain bus stops, um, you know, arrival time, you know, load factors and all of that. And sometimes, you know, these things fluctuate, 
right? And you're, you're collecting tens of thousands of these data every day because you have so many different routes, trips, etc. But it's difficult to 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 notice that at a particular stop, dwell time has been increasing, right? Or for the past several weeks, dwell time used to be, you know, maybe like 35 seconds. Yeah. Now it's two and a half minutes or three minutes. And that's been consistent for the past two or three weeks. So we need, you know, we're, we're building that, you know, smartness into it uh, to immediately flag it like, hey, watch out, there's something happening there, right? Yeah, yeah. So we go and we look into it and we find, lo and behold, there's a new passenger there who's in a wheelchair. And now by deploying the ramp, I think that's adding two or three, uh, three minutes to the, to the schedule. So we need to make adjustments to the schedule yeah. so that the buses don't you know, count as being late, right? So we need to make these adjustments. And there are you know, many of these examples, you know, whether, whether it's, it deals with load factors you know, and uh, travel times and, and all of that. So we need to, to keep building you know, that intelligence to notice these variances and flag them immediately so we can react to it before it becomes a problem. Again, infinite game, you want to be ahead of the game, right? So yeah. you, you fix it before it becomes a, a, a problem and before you get a black eye from the customers, right? Because everybody on you know, waiting at the next stop like the bus has been running, you know, three minutes late every single day, and I'm waiting here, you know, in the rain, right? So that that's you know the kind of things that you know we're, we're working on, and we, we want to see more of that happening as well. well. That that's a very important point to raise about like we generate tons of data, but we never interlink those data. Like you, that, that that's a beautiful example. I never thought about the increase in dwell time because there is a new passenger and he need mm -hmm. more support but it impacting the whole schedule, the frequency yep. and the reliability. So probably you need to have better dynamic process to adjust the schedule so that people frequency doesn't disturb, you know, people get the buses at the interval. And I was thinking about how to link the data of your maintenance activity with your on-time performance. So sometimes we don't see the impact of maintenance activity on the on time. So, exactly. so there is a lot of thing one can do with the data. And and I agree with you, we are we are still scratching the surface. And and that's what I tell when I was so I worked with Uber for some time and I used to tell people why Uber car is there when you need it, because they predict they don't wait for the demand to put the car there. They already tell the driver that we are expecting so many people will demand from this area and this many cars should be there. So it's all about predictive analysis and data and, and interlinking different things mm -hmm. and, and do it. Now, my next question, I, I'm telling you honestly beforehand, I asked chat GPT, what should I ask Khalid? Uh, and, and I got this question from, from chat GPT. So I said, okay, let me include and ask, uh, what do you think about yeah. it? So Sorta has recently launched this new fare payment system, Cine Easy Fare, in partnership with Transit App. And that's allow rider to pay fare using the app. Now, Chad GPT want to know, can you discuss the process of developing and implementing this system and how it has been received by the rider, like how riders are asking or liking it or not? The other thing it asks is like, what is your plan for future? Are you looking to implement open loop payment system? Are you looking to develop a mass application for Cincinnati? So what are the future goals? Yeah, so the, the fair payment app that we have is actually the Masabi app. 
Okay. It's, it's the Masabi third payment. So it means ChatGPT is wrong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're just calling it easy fare. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's a consortium of public agencies in, in Ohio. And through that, you know, we contracted with Masabi and Transit App. So it's kind of like a joint contract with both. Um, so we have, you know, these two apps. And actually, you don't need the Masabi app because through the Transit app, you can buy your easy fare, right? Ah, so, okay. So the Transit app is also connected to the Masabi one, you know, um, behind the scenes, right? Um, and we wanted just to simplify things for the user so they don't have to jump from one app to the other. So you go uh -huh. to the Transit app, you can plan your trip and then buy your fare, which is through the Masabi um, uh, uh, system anyway. Um, we did that back in 2019, and uh, you know it, it, the implementation was you know, went very well. I was managing that implementation, and uh, you know we started it on uh, October 1st of 2019. The um, since then we've also um, retrofitted our vehicles with uh, the readers. Okay. Because the initial implementation. Um, you know, for the first year, the passengers would show their cell phones to the driver and they, you know, they say, okay, fine, you, know, you have the pass or the ticket and so you board. But we, we weren't capturing the data, right? Um, so we were successful in getting some grant money and we did retrof retrofit the entire fleet with these uh, readers. So now passengers, you know, scan and they, they ride and we're capturing that uh, data. And through you know uh, my staff and myself working with them, actually we use this um, data, you know the uh, readers' data, which you only scan when you get on. So you only have boardings data, right? But we managed to um, come up with a sneaky way to figure out origin and destinations. Hmm. So we use you know the that the the, uh, the readers' data to generate origin destination which we use in our planning activities as well. And we're pretty confident of, of that, uh, you know, the, the process that we're doing. It's not easy uh, trying to link, you know, figure out you got here, got off there, but yeah. may not be a perfect match. So there's, uh, but uh, so we're using that in, in that regard. Right now we're working with the other agencies, you know, in that consortium uh, to implement fair capping. Okay. So we're doing fair capping and also e-wallet. So you will have the the wallet as well, uh, which is you know I think pretty much everybody knows what that is. You know, instead of buying a pass, you can put twenty bucks on you know and then use it as as you are. So we're doing these two things as well. Um, as in in terms of the uh, mobility as a service, yeah, and basically we are in uh, you know heading in that direction. The current app, just transit app, um, when you plan your trip, it gives you, you know, all the typical options, you know, driving, you know, walking, transit, Uber, red bike, and so on. Yeah. We are right now in the middle of implementing our new mobility on demand service, okay. which will start in May of this year uh, in two zones, and then we'll expand it to four more. So right now in the middle of implementing that, the vendor for the software is VIA. Hmm. And they're already working with transit. So when you go to plan your mobility on demand trip, you would still go to the transit app. 
and the transit app will give you the mobility on demand option among the other options as well. And then you can pick whichever option you want. And that's the direction we want to maintain is, you know, it's one shop, you know, one stop shop, right? You go there to that app or it's transit app or whatever. Yeah. You get all the different options uh, you want. And from that app, you'll, you'll pay your fare as well. Oh, that's great. That's great. I, I think that's very important because a lot of agencies don't use the rider data, the fare collection data, and, and you're using yeah. it for origin destination. You can plan your route better. You can understand what is the demand, what time, and which exactly. service. Uh, so I can imagine how yeah. you're using it. The other important point you mentioned in the beginning is that Sorta is investing a lot in BRT system. You are now investing in full BRT corridor. And uh, basically are covering all the popular transit route, uh, each of which carry more than 1 million rider a year. So it, it means you want to give a better reliability and service. Just want to understand, can you tell me the benefits and challenges of implementing this system? Because BRT used to be popular, then it went down. But I see a lot of um, cities in North America is now coming back and implementing uh, BRT network and how it fit into the strategic plan of SORTA because your strategic plan is how to provide uh, better service, economic development for the city. And and if I may add one small point to it, are you looking to make this corridor electrified and automated or you, you don't have plan to go into that direction right now? Yeah. Um, so as part of our reinventing Metro plan, you know, the uh, system restructuring and so on, one element of that is the BRT, bus rapid yeah. transit. And in that plan, uh, you know, it identified four potential corridors for the BRT. Um, all four seem to be conducive for a BRT system. However, you know, we can't do all four at the same time. Mm. You know, the, uh, just the complexity of that, the logistics of it, and the cost, obviously. Oh, yeah. So we're doing a study. Uh, we're at the tail end of the study. We should finish that in the next two or three weeks. Um, the study is looking at all four uh, corridors, and we selected the first two we're going to implement. Okay. Um, so we selected two, which we made public, you know, in the uh, couple months ago. And uh, right now, the consultants are just, you know, doing the LPA, the locally preferred alternative, in terms of the alignment, location of stations, and so on. And we've been busy with the outreach uh, for the past few days with that. Um, so we identified the two corridors. And um, then, you know, we'll just follow the typical FTA, um, you know, route, which is, you know, do the project development, construction, and then operations. Now, in terms of challenges, I think the, um, the biggest challenge would be having dedicated lanes. Hmm. Not for the entire corridor, and we realize that's not going <laughs> to uh, There are different limitations, you know, everywhere. But, you know, we need at least 50% or more, you know, to be bus, bus lanes, right? So that's going to probably be the biggest challenge. I, we have good relationship with the cities. Um, that's not going to be the main hurdle. It's just, you know, the right-of-way with, yeah. uh, you know, in some, some of these corridors, it's a bit constrained, you know. Um, and especially if we want to go in the center, center lane, that's going to be a problematic, uh, you know, it's going to be a problem just because, again, the, the right of way. Um, that's where we see our biggest challenges are. Mm. Um, in most 
I don't want to say most, but in some other communities, one of the challenges is that the public outcry, right? Mm -hmm. Here, it seems it's the other way around. When part of that's, you know, the BRT study, you know, I had assembled, you know, what we call the um, stakeholders committee, stakeholders advisory committee. And that included uh, mayors and city managers from the different communities along these four corridors. And when we made the announcement of which two hmm. corridors we're going to select, one of the mayors got pretty upset and literally just, you know, packed up his stuff and left the meeting because his corridor was not selected. Mm. He wanted it there. And when we were doing the surveys, you know, before that, talking to the public, you know, about what, you know, where, you know, whether they want BRT and where they live and so on, and which corridors they would choose. I think it was 86% um, lived along the corridors that they picked for a BRT. Mm. So they wanted to be, you know, uh, next to where they live or work. So it's not something like, no, no, don't bring it here. I don't want it. They were embracing it. Um, so the biggest challenge, as I said, would be, you know, getting the right of way for, for bus, uh, for the bus lanes. Um, in terms of, I think the last part you asked about the... Uh, I mean, I, are you looking to implement electric buses <laughs> and autonomous fleet? Because if you have a dedicated right of way, that can be a good option for autonomy. Yes, we, we are uh, currently also doing an alternative fuel study. Okay. Because we realize that diesel buses, you know, that's not going to be the answer for the next, you know, uh, many years to come. Um, if you can still buy them, you know, in 10 years from now, right? Um, so we are doing a study that will ha help us determine, shall we go with, you know, uh, battery, uh, you know, uh, operate buses or electric buses or fuel cell hydrogen yeah. uh, we're not considering cngs so it's either hydrogen or bebs and uh, we expect you know that uh, recommendation to to be uh, to be made in the next uh, month month and a half yeah. uh, so i can't tell you whether it's going to be we're going to have electric buses or fuel cell what i can tell you is it's going to be zero emission, emission. That's great. So, yeah, in either case, going to be zero emission. Uh, I don't know which which of these two technologies you know we will end up selecting until that study is is done. Um, in terms of automated buses, you know, as I said earlier, that's certainly something on our radar screen, um, but not for many years to to come. But yeah. that's something that we are definitely interested, not only along the BRT corridors, but in other communities as well. You know, we have few neighborhoods where we think um, automated vehicles would be a good solution for these neighborhoods. Yeah, no, I, I and also I think the challenge is the technology is not ready yet. Ooh. So let the big city implement it and experiment and then the mid-side city can, can adopt it because the cost of it is. Now I want to go back to your uh, uh, book. You know, in your book, you mentioned about that uh, riding transit is not driven by the socioeconomic or demographic characteristic, mm -hmm. but more by whether it meets the individual preference because generally transit agencies think other way. They just look at who is the demographic profile, how they live, and they just plan the service. 
And and one powerful line, which is end of your book, is the successfulness of a transition system is the percentage of choice rider, not the force rider, because there are a lot of people who are forced to use transit. But you said, if you really want to call yourself a successful system, it should be the percentage of choice rider, people who are using it. And you recommended that transit agencies should use spatial analysis and shared many tool. I love, I in fact, check all of them, like how one can use that. Can you share more about this? And and one I'm interested is to learn some use cases because you shared some of the interesting use cases. What could be the use cases of using spatial analysis and how it can be useful for transit? Yeah, uh, now you're, you're, you're making me too excited now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I can see that you love the you love the point. <laughs> oh yes, yes. Um, it's, it's you know one one of my areas of expertise. So. Um, yeah, so regarding the first point, point in terms of the preferences, and you are right that we in the transit industry, when we're doing you know analysis and so on, typically we look at the socioeconomic, demographics, densities, and all of that, and say, oh yeah, this is where you know we need to put service, and and that's fine to a degree, right? Um, but and and I've I've fell in in that trap myself, right? You know, thinking that, yeah, we can improve on this by doing some regression here and there and so on. But at the end of the day, it, it doesn't give you the, the right answer. Yeah. Um, because if you just look at the socio-economic demographic kind of analysis, there may be two neighbors, right, mm. that are only you know 100 feet apart or 30 meters apart, where one has to be at his job at 8 a.m. So he takes the 7 a.m. bus. Yeah. That's only, you know, around the corner. Great. His neighbor works at, at you know, uh, a factory. And, you know, uh, she has to be there at 6 a.m., which means she has to take the 5 a.m. bus. Yeah. But there is no 5 a.m. bus. The first trip is at, you know, 5.45 a.m. And it takes her an hour to get there. So she can't use the service, right? So even though they, they live right next to each other, they make, you know, each make $50,000. Um, you know, they have the same, you know, characteristics, but their preferences is, is, is different, right? So it's, it works for one and doesn't work for the other. On the other hand, I, you know, may be living in some really nice neighborhood making $150,000 and I would still, and I own four cars, but yeah. I would still take transit because I care about the environment, right? So oh, my yeah. preference is completely different. Or in some cases, you know, you know, I really don't want to deal with the stress. I can't deal with the stress of driving and so on. I'm going to leave that to somebody else to do the driving while I read or answer emails. So, so it's, it has nothing to do with the socio-economic and demographics. Uh, that's if we want to be a really successful transit uh, agency and, and have it a good uh, system. So then you need to look at the preferences, mm -hmm. what people prefer, what time they, they, they need to make their trips. Yeah. Some people, you know, if the bus comes once every hour, good enough for me, right? Other people, no, I want the bus every 15 minutes. If I miss one, I'm not going to wait an hour. Um, you know, I'm going to wait 15 minutes, fine. So these are preferences. The cleanliness of the buses, right? Uh, the information, 
where the bus goes, how far, how fast it goes. You know, if I don't have a car, I'm only making, you know, $25,000. It's going to take me an hour and a half to get to my job. Well, so be it, right? But others, they have different preferences. So, um, and that's the way of getting people out of their cars and onto transit is you need to meet these preferences uh, so that they will, will uh, ride. Granted, there are a segment that will never drive, will, will never ride transit and, and that's fine. That's, you know, we accept that fact. You know, we have to meet people's preferences to attract them to to transit, and yeah. that's what yeah. I argue in, in 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 my in my book, and that's why I say the success of a transit agency should be measured by the percentage of choice riders rather than just you know total ridership, because uh, captive riders have different preferences. Yeah. Right than choice riders. Captive ones, they just need a bus to come and get them, right, to their destination. If there's an hour frequency, I don't care. You know, if I have to walk half a mile, I'll walk the half a mile. I'm gonna ride no matter what. Choice riders, they have other set of preferences and needs. Yeah. They want better frequency. They want clean buses, courteous drivers, information, entertainment on board the buses and so on. So the fact that you have more choice riders, it means that you are providing a way better service. Mm. That's meeting not only the captive riders expectation, but it's also meeting the choice riders expectation. So that's, I think that should be the measure really. No, Uh, I love that point. That's why I noted that point is like, uh, you need to, you need to have more and more choice rider if you really want to build a successful system. Sorry, yes. you were adding something more. No, no. Uh, I think the last point, you, you, you the last part of, of that question was um, the special analysis. Um, and so with special analysis and, you know, more specifically, you know, the, the modeling, you know, uh, is um, it's a huge field, right? And um, for which hasn't really penetrated into the um, transit industry in terms of practice, right? Mm. There's tons of research out there, um, like spatial optimization, modeling, and so on. Tons of research, but we haven't been good at applying it. And you know, uh, but I try to do that where, where, where I work. So I'll give you two examples. One example was at, at one of the transit agencies I worked, I looked at a confined, the, the downtown area in terms of bus stops. So mm. we have, don't quote me on these numbers, but I think maybe like some 200 bus stops within the downtown area. And that's way too many bus stops, right? Because stoppage, delays, yeah, the time, you know, and impacts and so on. So if we want to minimize the number of bus stops, how can we minimize the number of bus stops but still serve the you know population. all of that population, 100% of the population, while at the same time making sure nobody is going to walk more than three minutes or four minutes, right? So you have these constraints or these limitations. Um, so you could do that in different ways with you know optimization modeling. And it turned out that 
to still cover, I think it was 95 or 97% of the population. And nobody was going to walk more than four minutes. Instead of the 200 bus stops, you only need 112 bus stops. So it was like almost more than 45% reduction in bus stops. Well, that's not only infrastructure. 45%, that's huge. Four, 45, almost 45% reduction. And you're still covering, you know, almost almost 100%. And nobody's going to walk more than four, four minutes to, to, to a bus stop. Now, to do that manually, it's impossible because you have millions of different combinations, right? And this is just looking at 200 bus stops. Yeah. So imagine looking at, you know, your entire system with 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 bus stops, and you're trying to optimize all of that. But the same can be applied to routing and, you know, other service areas. I talked about mobility on demand that we are implementing mobility on demand right now. We did a study last year trying to figure out, you know, where we should implement mobility on demand. Hmm. And I made it a requirement for the consultants to use spatial optimization modeling okay. as part of their analysis. So they did, you know, involve uh, a professor uh, who's, you know, this is one of his specialties is transit uh, spatial optimization. And we did use that technique and uh, making sure that the uh, the zones are contiguous, then the most efficient shape uh, for the travel and to minimize, you know, the travel times and the distances within each zone. So we did that, you know, we used that uh, in, in our study and these are the zones that we are implementing uh, right now. Um, but the application of spatial analysis and, you know, spatial optimization modeling is just, you know, limitless to when it comes to transit. Almost in every uh, everything we can we can use that. I I agree with you. I mean, thanks for sharing these two use cases. And and now I can see like managing bus stop is a huge cost for transit agency because if your bus stops are dirty, people create a negative impression about that. Instead of that, have less bus stop, better service, and more frequent service. Even people need to walk for two three minutes. That will be easier to access, yep. but but the space should be good. And if you have too many bus stop managing infrastructure, it's another pain for transit agency. It's not easy. So reducing exactly. 45%, that's a huge achievement. I mean, that can reduce their cost for maintaining. The staff can better. The buses can don't need to stop every stop because that's also delay the whole service, acceleration and deceleration. And then uh, using this analysis. So thanks for sharing. It's, it's really nice. Like I said, you know, getting some good practical example. It's really nice. Now, my next question is, you know, you already shared about your background, that how you started in transit, like how you started your study at uh, Ohio University and then went to Kota and then went to Jacksonville and all and continue to work. You went out to private, came back to public, work in Abu Dhabi, Makkah. So it's a, it's a great experience so far. Now, my question is, what inspired you to pursue a career in public transportation? And what has been the most rewarding experience in the field? Because if you're continuing for last 28 years, there is something you must be feeling really proud of or, or some reward you're getting. So beside money, I because money is not you keep you <laughs> in the job. So what is your so far rewarding experience in the field? No, th th thank you. Uh, and I think I kind of like touch on the first part of your question. Uh, I think what... Um... Uh, what in inspired me to pursue, you know, the uh, career in transit, it was pure chance, right? 
So one day I'm sitting in you know, the master's course uh, in, tra in transportation and the professor says, there's an, an internship opening at COTA, the Central Ohio Transit Authority in Columbus, Ohio. Um, and they need, you know, somebody who, you know, uh, you know, from the program and with some uh, programming, uh, you know, uh, capabilities. Um, and I, you know, took several programming courses in different languages. And so it was just a hobby on my part. So I applied. I got the internship uh, in the planning department there. And a few months later, you know, I became a full-time employee and the rest is history. Yeah. Um, and it was very rewarding. I mean, it is a very, very rewarding experience. Um, in terms of um, the, the, the most rewarding experience, um, you're right, it's not, it's not money. Um, and, and to me specifically, yes, I've done tons of trans, you know, intelligent transportation systems across the country of designed and built transit centers, you know, facilities, you know, all over network redesign, all of that. These are great achievements, but I think the most rewarding um, thing for me is having developed my staff mm. here and in my previous jobs, because I can see the successes you know, that they've been having and, you know, where they are right now, uh, whether it's, you know, in from Jacksonville or Abu Dhabi and even in Mecca and, you know, here as well. Um, that really what makes me happy at the end of the day is seeing, you know, all of these young, you know, generations and the impact that, you know, I had on, on them. And I'm sure that they also have impact on me. I think that's really, for me, that's the most rewarding thing. Amazing. In fact, you have put that line in your book is, which is from Mark Andreessen is uh, a type manager, hire a type employee mm -hmm. and the bad manager hire a bad employee because they don't want to promote their employee. They don't want to grow their employee. And, and I can see, and I, I can feel the sense of satisfaction because that's how, I mean, you always need to leave the world in a better position and how can you do right. it by creating, by sharing knowledge and replicating uh, success across. So I, I love your point about uh, helping others and building their careers and having best of uh, employee under you and, and let them become a future manager so that they can grow exactly. and, and change the world. Exactly. No, thanks. Thanks, Khalid. And this is my last question uh, because you are a technology guy, ITS. So I just want to see how do you see the AI technology transforming the public transport sector in the next five to 10 years? What are your predictions for next five to 10 years? Can I flip this, the, the question around and ask how would transit transform AI mm. for its needs? You know, again, kind of like related to one of my earlier, you know, uh, statements. Um, I'd like to see transit playing that role of driving things, right? Not being in the reactionary mode. Mm -hmm. But um, AI still has a major role in, in our day-to-day -day, day -day, uh, lives and activities and so on. Um, but I also think that, again, back to the infinite game mentality, 
uh, transit need to establish itself in, in the AI arena as well. Uh, we have to set what we expect from AI, uh, what we expect from mm -hmm. AI to provide to us, right? For example, be it as simple as designing a customized travel itineraries yeah. for individuals based on their specific preferences, you know, whatever those preferences are, right? Just, you know, like scenic view, not walking, more walking, walking, biking, you know, whatever it is, right? Time of day and all, and all of that. All the way, so from these customized travel itineraries for individuals, but also all the way to intelligently designing whole transit networks hmm. um, that are most efficient and most productive. I would also like, you know, for um, the AI, for example, take historical transit and traffic data and whatever other data yeah. and to continuously tweak routes. I mean, we talked a little bit about, you know, you know the bus stops, the dwell time, and so on. But even take it at 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 a grander uh, level, right? Tweaking routes based on the ridership, the changes in the um, developments around you know that corridor, or yeah. changes in densities. Um, on you know the if if we're able to get preference uh, data from these residents and what they need, um, but for the AI to keep tweaking these kind of alignments, routes, and location of bus stops, um, and to tweak the network as a whole and schedules to provide the best service. Um, it, it, it would also be beneficial for AI to also determine like in which areas fixed route is the best solution. Yeah. Versus not so much fixed route in this area, but have, you know, flex route service, you know, would be the better option or, you know, mobility on demand in, 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 the, in this type of uh, area. Um, and so for, for, for all of that, you know, for the AI to, to start putting together for, 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 for us, because that's going to save us tons of resources that we can put somewhere else. Amazing. No, I, I love your point about uh, it's not the how AI will transform transit. It's how transit want AI to work for it. Yeah. And that's more, I would say it's very powerful statement because that's where you be in command. Let exactly. outside person to be in command. You became in command and you say, hey, I have these problem. How can I use these technology and innovation to solve my problem? Exactly. Amazing. I, I loved our conversation, Khalid. So thank you so much for your time. You. I know you're busy. Now we have this quick rapid fire question round and idea for that rapid fire is that we learn about transit, we learn about technology, but we now learn what more about you. And and if you're ready, I'll, I'll start asking this question and, and want to know how do you feel and think? All right. I guess I'm ready. <laughs> Okay, my first question, and I think it'll be it'll be difficult for you because you never thought, or I don't know if you ever thought about it, that if you you were not in transit sector, what other profession you would have selected? Oh, that's an easy one, architect. Oh, architect. That that has always been my passion, and that's why I studied architecture and, and <laughs> undergrad. Yeah. But but we steal you from architecture to transit, which is good for us. <laughs> I still I still get to do both, so I'm 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 happy. <laughs> Now you you work and you travel around the world. Uh, I would love to know which is your favorite city in the world. 
Well, I happened to live in, uh, in Vienna, Austria, when I was a teenager. So by far, it's Vienna. It's my favorite too. It's it's lovely city. Yeah. Clearly, you can survive with transit and go anywhere. Now, you wrote a book, and it means you also must be reading a lot. So which is your favorite book or podcast or both? Well, this is this this is a tough one. Um, not to brag, but in my personal library, I have three thousand five hundred books. Three thousand so. <laughs> five hundred, man. Then, then, like well, I, I used to feel proud, I have fifty, <laughs> but now I feel shame. <laughs> you have to start from somewhere. Um, but if I have to choose one, I think it would be the Quran. Ah. I haven't get a chance to read it, but in my home, I have a copy of Quran. I want to read it. I probably will discuss with you one day. Right. Yeah. Right. Now, my next question is, what one thing do you wish you should have learned early in life? Probably play a musical instrument. Yeah? Yeah. I mean, I've, I'm, uh, I've been teaching myself for the past 30 years, but it's not easy, you know, at that, that age. <laughs> it's not. I'm sure had I learned it at a much younger age, it would have been much easier. But uh, yeah, play an, a musical instrument. I, I don't know. It's a word of encouragement for me or a warning because I just started learning an instrument uh -huh. three months back. So I don't know if I <laughs> should continue. Yeah, we but can my... talk about this. <laughs> <laughs> My kids, they are four. They are learning now. So now I feel they can understand much better than my last question, Khalid. If you can change one thing in life, what would it be? Uh, that would be probably, if that's like a general question. About it, anything. It can have, be personal. It can be journal. Anything. Yeah. It's, you know, for people to have more compassion. Mm. Yeah. I love that. I love that. I, I think that's what need today, more compassion. Uh, I was talking with my wife yesterday and, and she was saying something about her office. And I said, sometimes people have bad days, you know, people have problems. So we should have more compassion towards other and, and try to understand it's not yeah. same for everybody. So I love that point. And I can relate to it. Why you love Quran? Because that's what Quran teach you to have yes. more compassion Indeed. and love for everybody. Thank you so much, Khalid. I mean, I really enjoyed our conversation. I love all the points you shared and all. I'll put your book uh, detail in the in the note and I encourage people to read it and enjoy it. Uh, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge. My pleasure. And thank you for having me, Jasper. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We'll be inviting some other inspiring guests in the coming week. You can subscribe to this podcast online to get the notification for the next episode. If you like this podcast, please don't forget to give us a five-star rating as it will help us to spread our message. If you have any feedback or suggestion for this podcast, please do write to us at info at the rate mobility-innovators.com. I look forward to see you next time. Thank you.